0: There's a secret message. If you listen to all the episodes that exist from today backwards, there's an easter egg. There's an easter egg. What? No, I'm just putting it out there to see it, to get people to play it. More.
1: Hey folks, I'm Dr. C and welcome to my office hours. Uh, this is part two of my conversation with Mr. Justin Jordan. Uh, Justin, just in case folks are, you know, uh, acting out of sorts and listening to these things out of order, if you would please introduce yourself to the folks at home.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Justin Jordan. You can follow me on TikTok at Freddy's Roommate where I talk about nerdy stuff, do a couple lightsaber transition and, and, and fashionable all along, along the way. So, oh yeah, I didn't say that right. All along the way, there we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Justin is joining uh, barry and i in our virtual office today um and i you know like i said in the last episode i have justin on because you know he's uh he makes really interesting stuff uh, i love the way that you talk about pop culture especially things like we just talked about x-men in the last episode and today we're talking about dungeons and dragons uh the pastime of young people who are just damned determined to not associate <laughs> with normal society um what no are you
2: talking about dungeons and dragons is cool now it it's is way cool
1: it is now it it is it, it is now, and it's still a form of mass hallucination. Like you can't tell me this is not. <laughs> this is essentially going on a collective trip just sober.
2: Um, <laughs> We're in the golden era of Dungeons and Dragons. We really are. It's Don't true. do take this era for granted.
1: No, no, that's that's true. We are we are in. Uh, it's a part of the nerd renaissance that we've been experiencing for about the last ten, fifteen years. You, you know it'll be uh, on its decline
0: when uh, Jeff Bezos has some sort of like business plan around it.
1: Uh, I don't I don't doubt it. Uh when Jeff Bezos comes up with like fighting pits for the poor and <laughs> you get to pick your class before you go in that's that's how we know we've game. Yeah. Mm, pretty much um so so yeah no it's great because we're this is a height of popularity we probably haven't seen for the game since like the 1980s only now with at least 40 percent less racism um so
2: that's a that's a high number my guy it's still a lot of racism
1: i no that's i'm being optimistic um i'm being optimistic so Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this for a second, Uh, because both, uh, you know, Justin and I, we are uh, nerds of color who enjoy playing this game. And um, it is like has been often the case with a lot of with a lot of nerd stuff, often regarded as a predominantly white audience, predominantly white crowd. And certainly when it was created, it was from the lens of European Americans who had certain notions about race and culture and things like that that are really kind of unfortunate. So that's kind of going to be the idea that we that we deal with in this conversation. But just to start off, Justin, how did you get into d and Oh, my gosh.
2: It I it was all my fraternity brothers in college, you know, that I've heard about it. I love Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So they were like, it's like that, just let's play that. It's like Lord of the Rings, the game. And I was like, okay, let me play. And my character, my first character was regrettably a human fighter. I know, laugh it out. There's a
1: pumpkin spice latte of characters. That's a- <laughs>
2: Yep, pumpkin spice latte. They're like, yeah, this is easy. And I literally head first fell in love with the game. Like it is literally one of my favorite things to do in college. Spent way too time, way too much time not doing homework and playing Dungeons and Dragons and loving the intricacy of the game. And a couple of years later, when we're all graduated, I was like, I could do this again. I could I get back into this again. And then head first. And then TikTok came along and I started playing for TikTok and like a whole show came. It was like, that's how I got into Dungeons and Dragons. So it's yeah. like
1: tumbling ever since. And, and similarly, I learned to play in college. And actually, I had been resistant to it for a long time. I'd loved fantasy from a very early age. The, the, I read The Hobbit when I was in sixth grade. And from that point on, I was just enthralled. Um, but I was like, OK, well, you got to draw a line somewhere. Right. Like, and, and honestly, you don't have to. But for some reason, I felt like I needed to. And I was like, you know what? I won't play D&D. I won't play D&D. And then I went to college and a buddy of mine, uh, I transferred in from community college and a friend of mine had already been there. He'd made friends with some folks who played D&D and I didn't have any friends. So I hung out with them. And then I was like, you know, it's it's honestly a lot of fun. My first character was a uh, human cleric. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, mainly, I mainly play clerics. Here's the thing. I was a human cleric who thought he could be a fighter and I was wrong. I was so, so very (laughs) wrong quite often. Um, and so but yeah, from there, like in, and to your point about not doing homework, like I was going to be on the president's list after my first semester. And then I made friends and started playing D and D and that was never a possibility <laughs> for the rest of my career. Um, so, no. uh, so yeah, I still, you know, run games. I am a forever DM, um, and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, but i actually started playing the game recently for like the first time in years as a player uh, so it's a lot of fun um but and and Barry you've you've experimented with with Dungeons and Dragons a little
0: uh, bit nothing nothing amazing but yeah uh i think my first real introduction I was raised in a Mormon family and so there was not a whole lot of Dungeons and Dragons going on or access to it yeah actually I don't think I knew what (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons was I remember listening as a kid to uh, Dr. Demento sort of funny like comedic thing about Dungeons and Dragons I had no idea what he was talking about I just thought the characters were hilarious but I I didn't know what he meant by you know he's going off of the satanic panic sort of occult uh, sort of uh, convolution, Oof, yeah, the yeah, yeah, and, and making fun of that hysteria, and but I just didn't know what he was referencing at all. It wasn't until, funny enough, I was on uh, a Mormon mission, and uh, someone I was teamed up with, uh, he he was into it, and he he was trying. To, I think he was trying to see if I was like. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, and and obviously it just went over my head, and I don't think he was too surprised about it. But um, eventually, he found another missionary it, uh, who who did D and D, and they just spent the whole day together uh, doing what what they do. But it, yeah, anyways, I I was invited to to play a role playing game. It wasn't Dungeons and Dragons specifically, but it was you know very much the same same concept and we spent like six hours developing a character for the first time i was like that that yeah. was my introduction oh, and it, it was really it was a little discouraging honestly at first because he was like do you want to come over and play it i was like i've never done it before he's like i'll teach you how and so i go over and i didn't learn how to play we just set up a character I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: that's the thing it's never been easier to create a character in digital dragons with dnd beyond no, everything that's- Yeah,
1: no, that's true. I I was talking to someone about it. I was talking to my brother because I taught my brother how to play my brother and sister, uh, both of them how to play. And I said, uh, learning how to play now uh, with like fifth edition is like learning how to use a PC. Whereas when I learned how to play, which was on 3.5, and that was in the, you know, mid 2000s, like 2010s around that area. uh, That was like learning how to, you know, use Linux. Uh, oh,
2: no. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a, it was a lot
1: less intuitive. You would argue over the rules. This meant yeah. this or this meant that, that kind of thing. And now it's like, oh, so much so much more user-friendly. Um, but so for folks who are not familiar with what Dungeons & Dragons is, outside of a weird thing that the weird kids play in the library at high school. Oh, wait, in high school.
0: Um, no, in high school. Oh, I no, remember there. I Did fell asleep in third period uh, German class and i woke up during lunch period surrounded by people playing dungeons and dragons i was like what what, what is this what are we doing you were co-opted into yeah, the game it was a good time it was a
1: good time um, It reminds me of that time that i accidentally found myself in a group of fairies. but that's college oh, wow. uh I don't
0: know what Stop. okay
2: okay
1: we're going to we're going to leave yeah. that with no context or, or just... nothing quite i i went to dragon con and um in uh atlanta uh which is if you're not familiar is nerd mardi gras it's uh science fiction fantasy mm-hmm. comic books all that stuff Seventy thousand nerds descend onto the heart of atlanta and i was there as mm-hmm. among that special genre of nerd who were presenting at the comic and popular arts conference so i had like I, it's an academic conference at dragon con it was awesome i i highly encourage anyone who is who feels comfortable traveling to do that um and I was working on a presentation right before the thing was supposed to go on, because of course I was, I was at the last minute. Um, there's nowhere to sit. I find a spot and there's are starting to, like some folks start to drift over. And like, again, there's next to nowhere for people to gather because it's so crowded. And so they just start hanging out near me and say, okay, well, that's not a problem. And then <laughs> like that's fine. And then I noticed that some of them are wearing costumes in which again, very normal, it's Dragon Con. Everyone's in cosplay. That's Makes right, sense, man. right? Easy. Easy, sure. And then I was like, then this. Old boy walks over in a like head to toe, very detailed, very well made furry costume. And he's holding his his uh he- the headpiece in his, his helmet in his hands. And I realized what I what was going on as a group of furries began to metastasize around me. And so in the course of in a course of about 10 minutes, there were probably 15, 15 or so folks in various states of. Uh, Furryness, <laughs> Uh and they they apparently had planned to meet, and they were trying to find a spot. I was one guy sitting on a, on a bench, and they were like, wow. well, let's meet over here. And I was just taking notes. And at my, in my head, I was thinking, I, I, there's nowhere else to work. This is the quietest spot I can find close to the venue, and I'm, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. This, this is my spot, damn it. And well, so, doesn't sound like it. <laughs> anyway, they started... And so they they began to talk and like discuss how long they've been furries all that kind of stuff what their that's where I learned the term persona right one's persona as a furry all that kind of thing and they start going around and then they they start introducing themselves and they come to me and they're like, and you, sir, how long have you been? I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I am just here working on notes. Y'all continue, please, please. Like this is, I- in my head, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. As a as a researcher, this is amazing. Um, and I said, oh, no, I'm not, no, 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 y'all continue. I'm just working on some stuff for, for the conference. Uh, and then they continued. And it was really insightful and interesting. And that actually leads us back to Dungeons and Dragons. And here's why. What? It does. <laughs> Uh... <laughs> And I'm not talking about the Cokra or other furry-type critters in, um, in D&D. Yeah. So for those not familiar, Dungeons & Dragons is what's referred to as a tabletop role-playing game. That is to say that you have dice, you may use a variety of supplements like maps or figurines, depending on what you feel comfortable with, what you have access to. There's obviously books involved. Uh, you can get some supplemental materials for free, some of the basic rules and stuff like that. All, uh, from like Wizards of the Coast, they'll give you for free that you can play the basics of the game, that kind of thing. And so you are, it's a narrative game where you tell a collective story and you are going on an adventure. You are constructing characters. Each person constructs their own character from a race that is like a human, an elf, a dwarf, uh, any variety, and a bunch of other wild variants. Uh, and then you have a class, you have a background. The class can be, I reference being a cleric. Justin talked about being a fighter. Uh, you can be a wizard, a sorcerer, a rogue, any number of things. Um, and the reason that this relates back to the thing about, about um, the furries is that this, both of these are examples of creation of a shared reality right so mm-hmm. there is a communication theory called symbolic convergence theory and that is that we use symbols to create our own little realities that we then merge with each other when we come into contact an example of this for example uh, in the day-to-day would be like if you dress up in a particularly nice outfit right and then you come across somebody who says oh that's you, know, you look nice today." you are they are acknowledging the symbols you are using to represent yourself and those realities are converging they're coming together when they interact with you okay if this is making sense so it symbolic convergence theory is basically a way of saying that we use the things around us to create a reality which with each other that we then use to interact right similarly if you pull up if i Uh, Approach somebody or if I'm walking around and I see someone who's wearing a hat with like a um, Punisher skull on it and like a thin blue line on it, then I know you know what not my kind of guy necessarily Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another example of symbolic convergence. So in D&D and again with these folks in the the free outfits we use symbols to create a shared reality in the case of D, it's for fun it's for entertainment typically speaking and so we adopt these personas it's very much theater of the mind kind of thing at least for many people i won't say it's always that way but for a lot of folks um where we pretend to be characters in this fantasy setting and what's interesting about this is when we look at it from a cultural perspective we think about the cultural elements from our world that are influenced into this, because Dungeons and Dragons was, like I said earlier, developed by people who are of European-American descent, uh, most notably Gary Gygax and a bunch of other people whose names are not nearly as cool to pronounce as Gygax. And they came out of it from a particular lens. And so early constructions of white barbarians Early constructions of monsters were rooted in very racist tropes about, you know, primitive cultures and savagery, a lot of, you know, anti-Native American stereotypes, a lot of anti-blackness, a lot of Orientalist perspectives, things like that that were very reductive. And so now when we play this game, less of those are less of those elements are, are prevalent. There are still some things that are a little concerning. Um, one of my favorite TikTokers uh, is um, the basics of the game. Uh, Jeremiah McCoy, uh, shout out to him. And he, you know makes a really good point about how sorcerers, for example, in the game mechanics, sorcerers draw their power from from bloodlines. And that gets a little purity blood uh, thematic there, mm-hmm. which is a little concerning, right? Uh, or we can talk about how races have always have historically, up until very recently, um, had attributions based off of like, you become stronger, you become more intelligent, you become less intelligent, you become more dexterous, uh, based off of whatever race you're playing. And so this idea of race being tied inherently to intelligence or physical ability or things like that is, you know, part of that race, uh, part of that racist underpinning, which goes back to the ideas of like, for example, historically, and even still, uh, it was commonly thought that black folk experienced pain differently than everybody else. Right. Part of the reading. Mm. One reason, not the only, but one reason that we have an issue with black women being two to three times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts, even when controlling for all other factors, is that doctors often do not take the physical sensations that black folk are experiencing seriously um, because they assume that well, black folk can endure more pain than everybody else, which has its roots going back hundreds of years. Um, so that being said, like I don't know. Like, Justin, how do you feel about, like, the state of the game in terms of being a person of color who plays these games?
2: So the weird thing about uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons and being a, quote-unquote, Dungeons & Dragons, I guess, commentator, I don't know what you want to call me, but, Mm -hmm. like, a vocal person who plays the game, is that it has gotten a lot more accepting and welcoming, but a big, 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 big good but. It's almost as if we flew too close to the sun and mm-hmm. that in an effort to be, quote, unquote, more inclusive, people think that Dungeons & Dragons is a good avenue to experience different identities other than yourself, mm-hmm. which is a very very dangerous proposition because Dungeons and Dragons is not built to handle that sort of examination it was never built cuz number cuz number one it's based on very, very deep rooted, bad representations of people, you know, and like, like you said about the pure blood purity thing and how the way orcs are depicted and how those are based on the Mongols, you know what I mean? Like the game is not built for that, but for some reason or the other people think, oh, for example, like I want to play as a black person <laughs> and really get in touch or even worst case scenario, I'm going to play as an orc and your DMs. Like, yes, there is real racism in this world. Nobody likes orcs. You might get accosted in the street if you're an orc. Like, And me as a Black person, I'm like, man, can I just cast my spell? I'm not trying to have racism in my <laughs> yeah. game. You know, like I already deal with it enough in my real life. I don't need to play it in the game because it's always the most like heavy handed, hand fisted examples of racism and like things like that because the game is not built for it and the community as proven through like i don't know your comment section and my comment section on TikTok is not built for this discussion is not ready for that discussion which is really disappointing
1: yeah yeah i think that's a that's a really good point um because that was the thing that came up in some of the videos I made about why this is a bad idea. One is that to your point, a lot of folks aren't prepared to have those real conversations. Um, and, and if you do want to have those conversations about what it's like to be other people, there are more productive ways to do that with experts, right? You can listen to, you know, lectures from, you know, authorities on this sort of stuff, or, and this is a novel idea, you can go meet people, right? You can go like Mm -hmm, visit, mm -hmm. like go to cultural events, Spend time there, get to know folks. That's a much better way to learn about the struggles of people in reality than through a fictional game where, by the way, if your expectation is that, well, I want to experience a simulation of blackness or a simulation of Latinidad or something like that, that like you're putting a lot of work on the DM who may not be prepared for that, who may not be equipped for that. uh, And you're Mm -hmm. also requiring that the other players buy into that shared reality. The other uh, component of this is like the the risk and reward is absolutely not equal, right?
0: Let's yeah, say yeah. it.
1: Let's say it does. Let's say you have an amazing DM and other people who are willing to like help with you. Like it takes mm-hmm. a lot to make those stars align. And by the way, you're probably not having fun, which is why you're there, right? So there are. Mm-hmm. So even outside of the inherently you know prejudiced aspects of the game, which again we've made some progress in that way, there is. As you say, this issue of dealing with other people at the table, right? Um, I will say that something that I have come to learn uh, is that a lot of folks, for them, this was an opportunity for them to experiment with their sexual orientation. This was a way for them to sort of play out um, maybe feelings that they've had before in terms of how they present themselves in terms of gender. Or or how they you know, uh, consider you know romantic relationships, things like that. And of course, all that kind of stuff, the idea of to what extent you have romantic relationships or what have you is a matter of discussion at the table and make sure everyone's okay with it, right? But it can be productive in that way, but that's not the same thing as saying, well, I want to experience the trauma of another group, right? which is inherently a problem.
0: I will say there there is a, um, I went to a pitching contest competition or something you know people come up with creative ideas or creative pitches for um, different creative projects and one was a, a, a group that came up with their own tabletop role-playing uh, concept and they had developed quite a bit uh, they even had illustrations of, of some of their characters and things like that it was really imaginative really fantastic work especially they were they were a bunch of students at the time and um, it, they had constructed a world that was um, divided by class and species of the different characters, and um, that there were there were the haves and the have-nots, based on uh, d- drawn across like these sort of like alien species that had like somehow in the world building mm-hmm. coincided with each other, and and now they have a society and uh basically a system of inequality amongst all of them and i can't remember who i was on the judging panel and someone on the judging panel said so like this is an interesting world like uh, are you like because what like because we live in a world that has systems of inequalities do you see any parallels or are you trying to draw upon any parallels with your game to like build this into a way of commenting on those sorts of things. And they're like, Oh, this isn't about inequality. Like this game is not about, we don't ever want. And I'm like, how can you, <laughs> how like you No, your entire world is that like, how could you yeah. like try and make a game that is structured around that not be about that? Like it, that was yeah. to me anyways, that was a, a big problem with their, that was that was the biggest problem with their their world construction they were trying to avoid these discussions amongst the group or the potential game playing group um when they built an entire <laughs> game around that you know um and and yeah. I I just wonder like fr- from your guys's perspective like it, if you were in the room with with that student crew who had like developed this game like how how would you respond to them as they're trying to avoid discussions of inequality while making a game entirely based off of that.
2: Uh, It's here's the thing. Like there is no system that can accurately depict what it's like to be disenfranchised by a system. There is no game mechanics that can accurately do that. Ever, I don't think Mm -hmm. history of ever, no matter what it is, you know, because at the end of the day, it is a simulation that can't factor in all the little things like microaggressions and all those things that led up to this point about why people of color feel the way that they do or treated the way that they're treated. And that I hate the phrase like in a vacuum because nothing Ever is made in the vacuum because we are all influenced by something or other. So it's impossible to like not think about those things when there is—I I don't haven't sure. played this game that you're talking about, but there is a statistical or numerical advantage to playing certain races or certain classes in the game of Dungeons and Dragons and the mm. game that you're talking about. So it's kind of like you know what I mean. Like you can't have you can't have your cake in um and eat it. You know?
1: Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really interesting point. And to to dovetail with that because yeah, all simulations are by their very nature collapsed representations of reality, right? Which means they lack complexity. Mm-hmm. They lack a lot of, you know, uh grounding that obviously that we have in, in our actual reality. And to dovetail off of that and to get to to Barry's point about these students as well, um, they're unaware of the implications of the thing that they're making. And I'm going to hazard a guess it's because they are in some ways removed from these experiences in real life, right? Uh, So the other thing that comes to mind is how this trope of like slavery, for example, comes up often in games, right? Uh, The idea of a, a overarching force that is enslaving people is a very common theme. Right. Uh, we see it in pop fiction. We see it in you know fantasy stuff. We see it in games, that kind of thing. Uh, and slavery has come, has manifested in a variety of ways throughout human history. In some cases, uh, in temporary indentured servitude, which is still very horrifying, all the way to the most extreme forms of like child slavery that we had here in the Americas. Um, putting that in your game and not realizing that. That is a real world, that is a real world thing that people still feel the effects of. Uh, We still have forced labor in the United States. It's just now dependent on criminal status as opposed to strictly based off of race or or ethnicity, Um, although it often tracks with race and ethnicity. Um, Failing to understand that that is a, a concept that connects with the audience is a part of Uh, a sort of myopia or a short-sightedness in one's own experiences and cultural uh, perspectives. And it's also a bit lazy. Like in my games, Mm -hmm. I don't typically use slavery uh, in, in really any of my games. I use, Specific historical instances. So, for example, I ran a game over the summer where uh, students were well, not students. They were students. These are friends of mine. But I think of everyone as students, I guess. Uh, where some <laughs> friends of mine, which is does not say great things about me. Um, where I was running this game, where my friends were playing in a world where they had to, their job was to find an artifact, and that artifact uh, was somewhere in the wilderness. But they started off in a mining camp, where it happened that no one there was enslaved but it was basically forced labor because it was bas- it was like uh, the whole company store idea of coal mining and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you can leave, but you're not going to have any money. So really you kind of have to stay kind of thing, a system of inequalities. Mm-hmm. And I used it to teach because I can't not teach. I used it to basically discuss issues of like labor rights and things like that. But I can do that without getting into this idea of Actual slavery, which is still a problem for folks. Now, uh, wage inequalities still very much a problem. One that actually a lot of my friends can relate to, um, and they were also of a mindset where, like, they could emotionally handle these kind of things. If I thought they couldn't, then I wouldn't have done it. Because part of this is also knowing who is it is mm-hmm. you're playing with, right? Um, I've heard Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine uh, plays Dungeons and Dragons. And I've heard him talk about like his campaigns often have a social justice angle to them. Go figure. He'd like, that's the case with him. Right. But he also knows who his audience is. He knows who's at his Mm. table. And so he can adapt to that. And if we're there just to have a good time, then, you know, maybe we just leave the, the heavy stuff out of it because honestly, that's not the point right? But if the audience can handle it, and if it is something, if the players can handle it, if it's something that's going to be narratively compelling, and we can do it in a way that's like respectful of the sensitivities of the folks at the table, then that's something to experiment with. But it sounds like Barry, in your case, the students were sort of divorced from reality a little bit. Justin, what do you think about this in terms of uh, content creators who play d d who may play characters that are different from their actual identities when they play humans. So the example that comes to mind for me is like the McElroy brothers, whom I'm a big fan of their stuff. They also have a history of, in some places, sometimes playing games rooted in reality where they adopt the identities of people that are very different from who they are. It's, I will,
2: I will kindly say it is a very privileged position to be in. To think that you could accurately depict all of the nuance of some as a, of a person of color or someone in that demographic, you know that's that's a lot of hubris that you got going on. Yeah. And here's the thing: I I look at it on a realistic level. Can it be done respectfully? Maybe, maybe. But in a collapsed reality setting, like you were talking about you are painting with broader strokes. And when we're in those situations where we kind of have to improv, or we have to kind of rely on things that we know about those people, more often than not, Mm -hmm. we rely on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And we fall back on those stereotypes when depicting those people. And that's not fun for anyone, you know? And, it's very dangerous when you have someone as big as them making those decisions because people will follow suit and people will think that that's okay and they won't be as nice and they won't be as good or respectful as them you know yep. and and that's the danger of it even if they press all the like perfect cultural buttons and they do everything, why can't someone of that culture do that? Why does it have to be you? Ask yourself, why do I have to play as like a black person?
1: Yeah,
2: sure. And what am I imbuing those stereotypes and what like my internal thoughts into that character is kind of a reflection about what you think of black people. If I see another white person playing a black person, that's a reflection of what they think about Black people On in a weird yeah. way. Yeah, it's, a,
1: it's dangerous. Yeah, and and it's worth noting a couple of things that come to mind um, because I I'm a huge fan of the the McElroy brothers. I, I love what they do, uh, but to your point um they try to go about their stuff in a very respectful manner and i'm not going to say that i give them a pass because i don't think anyone is beyond reproach and certainly anyone human can make a mistake and i would suggest that their representations are at times rather collapsed and uh, a lacking of complexity that's appropriate for assuming that kind of role um it's also there's also this aspect of like you know i'd they have a certain amount of goodwill with their audiences because they're known for being, generally speaking, well-intentioned and good-hearted people. That being said, to your point, there's also that secondary effect of who is inspired by this stuff, right? Who's inspired by this and what are they going to do? Because we understand that from a mass media perspective, there's always a ripple effect. Small-time content creators who will try to do the same thing, who, as you said, are not nearly as well-intentioned, are not nearly as respectful, and who are going to err in some pretty rough, rough ways. And unfortunately, there's an audience that will want to consume that media because that reaffirms certain perspectives that they have about these other groups that are bigoted and prejudiced. So there's always that consideration as well. And the other thing is we need to draw an important distinction here, I think, uh, because this came up in one of my my comments uh, sections as well. And that was, well, what about video games where you play characters that are from, you know, different uh, races and stuff. And I think of like Skyrim, I love Skyrim. Uh, You can play characters that are ethnically coded as different than Norse humans, right? So you can play the Norse. You can also play uh, the Red Guard who are coded as like um, Arabian uh, or Persian, uh, that kind of thing. It's also worth noting, though, that the character decisions are a part of the game. Now that in and of itself requires scrutiny that needs a honest assessment of whether or not they're falling into stereotypes, but that takes a lot of the decision and control out of the hands of the person. You do have options, but those Mm -hmm. options are pre-scripted as opposed to making something up on the fly and that being a aspect of like what your own internal cognition says about this particular group that you're trying to represent. So there is a meaningful distinction there, although every video game that, that has a cultural aspect to it needs to be carefully considered. Um, I just downloaded a game uh, off of Xbox uh, Gold that's, uh, I think it's called Malacca, which is about um, the Tarahumara that are a native indigenous group to Northern Mexico uh, made by a Mexican video game developer, but that doesn't mean that they got the representation, right? And so as I play through it, it's one of those things that I'm gonna try to keep an eye out for as far as, you know, what mm. whether or not there appears to be stereotypes or things like that. Um, because it has the potential to do a lot of good things, but also the potential to be unfortunate, for lack of a better term. I bet it'd be a lot of fun to play a game with like a licensed therapist as the DM. Oh no, no, I'm
2: not ready to unpack that. No, like no,
1: no, like okay, I, okay, this this uh, this long this long sword does one d eight damage, but the psychological wound is going to be bleeding. No.
2: Psychic damage. <laughs>
1: I take a feat uh you know what some some in childhood familiar it's your imaginary friend
2: i want to play with both of you one day <laughs> just you wait yeah you know where ohio is you i do get here.
1: i do and actually and i come up to ohio from time to time uh i got uh my wife's family's up there um in columbus and so you know i
2: no way yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. uh so we what? we come so we come up there a few times a year
2: oh my gosh we gotta make this happen very you can yeah. come
1: too <laughs> Great. Uh, yep. I'll, I'll
0: I'll stow away in the trunk of his car when he when he goes and surprise. I'm here. Mary, how
1: did you get here? It's yeah. It's an eight hour ride. What have you been doing this whole time,
0: <laughs> Gabriel? You're asking all the wrong questions. Uh-
1: <laughs> all right so all right, so um i guess i don't want to know what the right questions are barry um <laughs> don't worry about so all right so we'll, we'll pull the just accept. we'll conclude it. this that sounds so weird i want to isolate that track of barry just saying just accept it um all right so let's uh let's let's pull this to a close um justin where can folks find you
2: you can find me at tiktok at freddy's roommate if you're interested in my hot takes on Bachelor, you can follow me on Twitter at I am Justin Jordan and on Instagram at I am Justin Jordan.
1: All right. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz underscore PhD. I'm sorry, is there an Maybe there is.
0: You you don't know your own? I think
1: it's GA Cruz underscore PhD. <laughs> I think uh the if it's not why
0: are we suddenly questioning this because this is (laughs)
1: unprofessional i have done this outro (laughs) so many times and this is this is who i am um look people don't tell you this but when you finish a terminal degree whether that's like an mfa like barry has or phd like mine at the end of it you don't know what you actually know and it's horrifying um, the reality <laughs> gaslights you is is what this boils down to. Anyway, so... um Good
0: way of putting it.
1: And then uh, uh, on TikTok at dr.c uh, and Barry.
0: Well, I mean, everyone else knows. I'll just say it to both of you. Like, the rest of us are hanging out over at uh, thornbergmedia.com. So uh, if, if either of you want to come join everyone else plus me there, then, you know, it's a- we'll be hanging out over at my website it's a
1: real party all right and yeah. <laughs> uh of course you know if uh, if you've enjoyed this episode um you know we'd ask that you you know share it with friends and family or or what have you you know uh like subscribe leave a kind review if you liked it if you didn't like it please don't say anything thanks and we'll see you next week in the office